Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I've been a teacher for many years. I've actually taught many different subjects. Teaching through the scriptures is definitely something that I enjoy the most, but I I do have a lot of experience in teaching many, many other subjects as well. And one thing that I have found about many of my students in the past is that most of them did not really appreciate or did not really see the value of the things that they were learning. One of the most common things that they would say in order to give an indication of this would be to say something like, I don't see how I will ever, ever use this, how I will ever use what I am learning. And that's a very common thing for students to say. And and I know that people hear that all the time. Other teachers hear that all the time. It's a very common thing for many people to say as a defense for why they should not have any education at all in some cases. But the reality is that if a person does not know something, then they are guaranteed that they will never use it. And that was one of the premises that I operated under when teaching most of my students, most of my courses in the past, was to try to enforce the notion that if they did not know something, they definitely will not use it. However, if they did know something, they would then have an opportunity to use it. They would perhaps be ready to make use of it if the circumstances presented themselves, then they would be able to make use of it. You know, what we know really determines what we can do. It's not the other way around. It's not to look for something that you want to do and then go find out what it is you need to know in order to go do it. Usually that's too late. People who are extremely successful often will do things that they do not want to do, but they do those things because they know how to do them. And that gives them new opportunities to be able to do other things that they would like to do that opens up new doors of opportunities. That's a reality of life. But if a person does not even start in their education with that kind of an attitude of, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to learn as much as I can so that I will have more opportunities available to me. If a person doesn't start with that attitude, in general, they just don't make it. They just don't do very well. And perhaps in a high school setting, they may be able to get a diploma in order to get out of high school or something. When it comes to college or university, students normally drop out. They don't normally make it to complete their degree. Or even if they do, they will not have learned those things that they really needed to learn necessarily in order to be successful in the field that they had chosen to study. There are many issues related to this. But for now, I just wanted to mention that if a person does not know something, they definitely cannot make use of, obviously, what they do not know. That is a very important thing to understand. This is true with the scriptures as well. If there are things that you do not know and understand within certain areas of the Bible, then there are other things that you simply will not know or understand just because you do not have 
the necessary foundation in order to understand and appreciate or apply those truths that are related in other passages and other places in the scriptures. It's a very important premise. When the writer of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, was writing in chapter 5, he said something very interesting in verse 12. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, it is written, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. The writer makes a very powerful statement to say that by this time you ought to be a teacher, and yet instead of that being the case, you are someone who needs to learn the elementary principles. You need somebody to teach you the basic stuff, the milk of the scriptures. This is a direct statement to say that there were people who you would have expected to be telling others about the Lord Jesus, and yet they were not. And the solution to that would be that they would need to be taught again the basic elementary principles of the scriptures. But I'm going to state this in a different way with reference to verse 12. I'm going to say that this also means that if a person does not know anything, then they are not going to teach anybody anything. That's a reasonable summary of what the writer is saying here, that perhaps the reason why you are not telling anybody about the Lord Jesus is because you don't know the Lord Jesus. That's a perfectly reasonable conclusion. If you knew something about the scriptures, you would tell people those things about the scriptures. If you knew something about the God who wrote the scriptures, you would say something about the God who wrote the scriptures. If you know the Lord Jesus, then you would tell people about the Lord Jesus. But if you do not know anything, then you're not going to tell anybody anything. That is a simple fact. That which you do not know, you cannot use. That which you do not know, you cannot tell others about. And so if there's going to be any solution to this, it has to include some instruction of some kind from somewhere, from somebody who will tell you about those things that you ought to know. Or you're going to have to figure it out on your own, which you can do. Certainly you can do that. I myself, I'm definitely much more self-educated than educated by others. That's true in my case. And yet if you consider the magnitude of education that I have received from others as well, then I think you would have even a greater appreciation for the amount of labor that I have gone through in order to teach myself on top of all of the education I have received. But, you know, with all the education that I have received, one thing that's very telling is the fact that out of all the professors that I have had, out of all the teachers that I have had, I would say that there are very few of them who were really good teachers. I mean, good teachers in the sense that I actually learned something from them. I've had a lot of teachers who I have learned absolutely nothing from. I've had many teachers who I have learned a few things from. But there are very few that I have learned a lot from. Very, very few. Just because someone is a teacher by title, by trade, or by acknowledgement from others who are important, regardless of that, if a person does not know how to teach or if they are not really able to teach, then they're not going to. It won't matter if they have a lot of information. It won't matter if they have a lot of credentials. If they are not able to teach, they're not able to teach. It doesn't matter whether or not they have a title as a teacher, whether they are getting paid to be a teacher. That is not the defining factor. 
I have known many teachers who really can't teach anything. And it wasn't necessarily because they didn't know anything. It was generally because they did not know how to communicate these ideas well to other people. I find this happening an awful lot within the circles of influence that I'm a part of, where I have encountered many people who do not like the way that I teach people, as an example, and that they would like me to teach differently. Or even I don't like the way they teach, and I would prefer that they teach differently. There are always disagreements. There are always differences concerning how a person would teach or how they would not teach. But however that works out, the most important thing to understand is that at some point, someone has to learn something. And that, to me, is the defining factor as to whether or not someone is able to teach. In other words, it does not always have to do with what a person knows. It also has to do with are they able to convey what they know to somebody else so that other person can understand. And so the true qualifications of a teacher really is established by their students. It is their students who define whether or not a teacher is actually a good teacher or not. In fact, I have many, many letters of recommendations. I have solicited them, I've asked for them, recommendations from my students over the years, over many years. And I have a substantial stack of letters that students have written, either because I asked or they just simply did it on their own, in order to give me a recommendation concerning all of the things that they learned and how they learned them and that they really appreciated what they had learned. That the quality of a teacher is actually determined by the student, not by the teacher. A teacher can proclaim they're the greatest teacher on earth, and yet if they have not been able to successfully communicate what they know to somebody else, then they have failed, and they certainly are not. So also here in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, many people perhaps ought to be teachers. That's true, where it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, to become a teacher, although you ought to be, but to be a teacher at some point is not determined by what you have learned. It is not determined by whether you have had the opportunity to teach or not. It is determined by others who will learn something from you and whether or not that will actually be useful for them in a way that it will change their lives. That is when these things get determined. That is when these things get evaluated. And don't assume that a teaching scenario has something to do with what you may assume it has something to do with. And what I mean by that is, like right now, at this time, I'm teaching on an audio program that is being broadcasted on radio, or you're hearing it on a CD, or you're listening to it from a data file that you downloaded off of the Internet. There are many ways that these files are transported and moved around to different people. But this is just simply one avenue of teaching. It's a very limited one in the sense that I don't normally get a lot of feedback. I do get feedback, but not as much as I would like, certainly. It is only one avenue. It is only one approach. When you see a pastor uh, teaching before a congregation on Sunday mornings or on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights or whenever they may do that, that is another avenue of teaching, but it is not the only way to teach the Scriptures. It certainly is not. In fact, in most cases, I find it to be the worst way to do that. I personally, I have found that. I pastor several churches, and I find that in most cases, 
people do not learn as much from me in a group setting as they would in a conversation in a one-on-one dialogue, that the one-on-many monologue is not the most efficient way of teaching in terms of people actually learning and understanding and being able to apply what they learn. People certainly get inspired, and there are many things that people do enjoy, and they do learn things, that's true, and it does change people's lives. But in terms of magnitude, sometimes people make the assumption that the ultimate is to be a pastor in the pulpit with hundreds of people listening to you without interruption. And that certainly is not going to necessarily be the case, especially in most of the people that I have come across. That definitely is not the case. It doesn't work out that way. Or to be a teacher means that you work in a school. That has nothing to do with teaching either. When you engage with another person one-on-one and you share with them something that you know, that you believe, that you understand, and you share that with them, and they don't know it before you share it with them, or they don't understand it in the way that you understand it, or they haven't applied it in the way that you have applied it. When you communicate with somebody in any way whatsoever, there is teaching going on. There is instruction that's taking place. Regardless of what the setting is, you will always find yourself in a capacity to actually teach something, either directly or even indirectly, where you may be teaching something that you may not want somebody to learn. Who, who knows what that may look like? Those are individual situations that happen within relationships that people have. But in this context, the writer is making it clear that the reason why people were not telling others about the Lord Jesus is because they don't know anything about the Lord Jesus. That's generally the case. I've talked to a lot of people in Christianity who have said that we need to be out there witnessing, that we need to be out there evangelizing the world more, that it isn't happening as much as we would expect it to or as much as it should. And you know what? They're right. I can agree with that. And that, yes, we should get people a little bit more involved in other people's lives if we can. And I certainly am in favor of that without question. But there's another problem that has to be addressed first. And that is that people don't know what to share. People don't know what to witness, what to testify of. They have nothing to testify of. You know, they go and tell people about the Lord Jesus, or they try to, and if they don't know the Lord Jesus, then what are they going to say? Especially if somebody asks them a question, you know, what are they going to say then? Now, I'm not saying that a person has to be able to answer every question that they get confronted with. I'm simply saying that these are important issues, very important questions. So as you continue to read in Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 12, again, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. I'm going to come back to this idea of being able to discern between good and evil later in another program. For now, I'd just like to mention that in verses 12 and 13, there is a distinction between milk and solid food, and that the writer is saying that a person has to go all the way back to milk, that they can't just go back a little bit to solid food, but they have to go all the way back to the milk of the scriptures. And I'll explain the differences between milk and solid food in another program. 
But for this program, I would just like to emphasize the notion that a person needs to go back, that they need to start over, that they need to start again, because they are infants. And the only way that an infant is going to grow is by consuming something simple. And in this context, milk is definitely it. They need to learn the elementary principles of the oracles of God, because they certainly do not know them. So what does a person do? What will a person do if they find themselves in this situation? Well, what a person has to do is they have to identify what is the difference between milk and solid food. And I'll give you a little bit of an introduction to this, but I'll have to talk about it more in the next program. And that is that between milk and solid food, we have to find some way to define that. Well, how does the Christian world define? How do we define the differences between milk and solid food? Well, this depends on who you ask. This depends on the church that you're a part of. This depends on the seminary that you go and study at. It it depends on so many different factors. There is no definitive statement anywhere that says that the milk of the scriptures is this. You're not going to find that in the scriptures. You're not going to be able to go into the Bible and see anyone say anywhere or see it written in any place where it is written that the milk of the scriptures is this and the solid food of the scriptures is this. And so how do we define the two? Well, I'll tell you how this usually ends up. The way that this ends up is that a person at some point feels that there needs to be some advancement in their Christian life or in the Christian life of those who are close to them. That's normally how this gets started. A person recognizes that they that they are not necessarily as mature as they would like to be or that others are not as mature as they would like them to be. And so what they do is they effectively drive a stake in the current state of the Christian experience. What I mean by that is they establish a marker of some kind and say, well, I don't think that you are where you should be, especially because you're not a teacher, whatever that may look like. You're not telling other people about Jesus. And so we will establish a marker at this point right now, regardless of what that really means. We'll establish a marker and say, your current Christian state is a state of being a baby, an infant. And what you know right now, what you understand right now, is probably going to be classified as the milk of the scriptures. And what you do not know right now we're going to call the meat of the scriptures or the solid food of the scriptures. This is how people will then define what is the milk versus solid food when referring to the end of Hebrews chapter 5. This is how people do it. Now what that means is is that this marker defines what milk is, and so what people will do is is they will then emphasize, re-emphasize, go over again all of the things that a person knows at this time to make sure that these basic fundamentals are well-established, well-ingrained, and then we've got to find something else. Well, what else are you going to find? What else do people find? In most cases, as I have witnessed this, in most cases that I've, I've personally seen, people end up in prophecy. That tends to be the solid food that people pursue. They pursue a greater study of prophecy. 
Now, they study prophecy in two contexts. The first context is those prophecies that have already been fulfilled. And then the second context is those prophecies that have not yet been fulfilled. Now, of course, in addition to those, there are many other categories. For example, there are some prophecies that are explicitly written in the scriptures, and then there are other prophets who are running around in this modern age who are saying that there are future things that are going to happen, and they might very well happen. I'm not saying that they won't. I'm just saying that people will then look to other prophets or other people who are proclaiming what they believe will occur in the future in order to set the stage for the fulfillment of other prophecies in the scriptures. That's very common. But that's what people generally do. They normally go into the world of the prophetic as a direction of solid food, as a way of saying that this is how we're going to move people beyond the fundamentals. But then what does that look like? That looks like a person who then is a master or an expert of prophecy, who then, once they are an expert in prophecy, somehow they will be inspired more to become teachers, to reach out to other people and teach them about the scriptures. That's generally the model. And there are a lot of people who function that way. There are ministries who direct people in that way. And there is some success concerning those things. I mean success in the sense that people do turn towards the Lord Jesus as a result of those ideals, as a result of that definition. People do turn to the Lord Jesus and they begin to pursue him, to study the scriptures, to see what he has said, to be saved, to actually begin to have an interpersonal, interactive relationship with their God. That certainly does occur. The Lord uses these things, these ideas, just fine. I certainly am not going to say that he doesn't. However, I certainly do not agree with that conclusion. I don't believe that that is the case. I'm only stating that this is what most people who I encounter believe. This is what they believe uh, of those people who I encounter. I believe that there is something very different. I believe that there is a different distinction between milk and solid food. Let me give an example. If you were to continue to read into chapter 6, continuing to read into chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of instruction about washings, and laying on of hands, and the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. And then he goes on from there, which I will address very soon. But when you consider chapter 6, verse 1, he tells you, the writer actually tells you what the milk of the scriptures is. The milk of the scriptures is the elementary teachings about Christ. That is the milk of the scriptures. It is the elementary teachings, and he gives you a list of what these elementary teachings are. Repentance from dead works, faith towards God, instruction about washings. These are all elementary teachings. And according to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, he says that you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God referring to milk and not solid food. And then he begins to list them. 
And so this is how I'm going to define the differences between the milk of the scriptures and the solid food of the scriptures. I'm going to define it, not trying to define it in Hebrews chapter 5, but by using Hebrews chapter 6, because to me he gives a clear list of the milk of the scriptures. Now what you're going to find, though, as I talk about these, is that these are some fairly advanced subjects when you consider the Christian world today and what people actually know or what they discuss or what they debate over, that these are some very involved topics, if you want to call them the milk of the scriptures, that really gives you a a better understanding of just how much of a baby the babies really are or how much of an infant the infants really are. And when you understand that, you can see how far we really need to go in order to get a person from where they are to actually being effective and successful in communicating the things of the Lord Jesus to others. Let me give you an example. What does it mean to say that we must repent from our dead works? The normal response to this is to say that it is repentance from sin. But that definitely is not what the writer said. The writer could have said that. The writer could have said repentance from sin. And that's what people normally assume the writer meant, is that a person has to repent from their sin, that this is an elementary teaching of Christ. But it says repentance from dead works. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that a person is performing works, works that effectively have no real substantial value, as if they were dead, and that a person needs to turn away from those works. A person needs to repent or turn away from those works which are dead. And what are those works? Well, because I'm out of time for this broadcast, I need to just tell you, but I, of course, will talk about this in a future program, and that is that the works that we need to repent from, the works that we need to turn away from, are our own works of righteousness. Those were the type of works that the Hebrews were struggling with. The Hebrews were performing many works for God, but their works were works of trying to obtain or sustain their right standing with God. Those were the kinds of works that they needed to repent from, that they needed to put aside, that they needed to turn away from. They they needed to turn away and repent from doing their own works of righteousness and instead depend on the work that the Lord Jesus did on their behalf to give them his righteousness. That is a fundamental teaching of the scriptures that a person needs to understand if they're going to grow out of being a baby. This is just one example, and I, of course, will continue in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net